There are only two questions in here, so um, this shouldn't take too long. But um, I'll answer part of this and hand it off to um, uh, Helen if she wants to add something to it because she uh, deals with this a lot as well, too. Um, please address anonymity at the electronic level, email, online meetings, uh, etc. And um, uh, our anonymity is the level of press, radio, and film that was written that way. Uh, what it really means is it's the level where someone outside of our fellowship would see um, uh, our name or the name of another person in the program where our anonymity would become known to the public. Uh, when we talk to each other, we um, we use our last names uh, most of the time. When AA was started, when you were introduced to each other, everybody used their last names um, so that we would know each other, we can help each other. Um, the area that we run into the problem and this principle, the spiritual principle behind this, is that God gets the credit so that none of us take credit for anything and none of us also... Um, if, if one of us fails, then it doesn't appear as though AA has failed. Um, and um, there are no buildings. There's not a Clancy building at, up at General Service Office. There's not, we don't name buildings after um, people. Uh, Bill Wilson um, and Dr. Bob Smith have gotten a lot of, they're the two exceptions because of being the founders and being dead because their families agreed to it that their names have been made known to the public for a long time. But if you go to our general uh, service our office archives, they're the only two people that they'll actually let you see a photograph with the name uh, and take it outside of the building. Um, the idea is strictly that God gets the credit, and AA gets the credit. Um, and in 71, there was a group of about 100 uh, superstars who all came out and said that they were alcoholic, um, and uh, almost all of them got drunk. Now we're going through a similar thing now where some people are thinking that they can come out and address things, and they almost all get drunk. Because when you think about it, the only reason for me to go outside and say, now I'm getting ready to do uh, what I do for a living is right. And my, the guy who wrote my name, partner is Bill Church, whose name is Bill W. and Lois Wilson. And we are we're co-writing a series right now that will be a series of recovery stories. And there'll be one hour, it'll be a one-hour TV show, but it'll be recovery stories. It'll be stories that you would know because you would know the people, Tom I and June G and all those people. But we will change the names and the places so that their not, anonymity is not broken. But I guarantee we'll be on TV shows and they'll ask us things. So we'll have to be very guarded in not letting people know that we're in Alcoholics Anonymous and, and kind of deferring. You can do that. Some of the oldest people in Hollywood who have long-term sobriety never let their names be known, even though I know them and they're in the fellowship. Um, others don't. Now, where that extends in the, the problem now is how does that extend into the Internet? If anybody besides a member of AA who has a passworded access to a site can get your your last name and your contact information, that's breaking anonymity at the level of, of uh, press because that's a new form of press. I went to uh, a 40th uh, high school, anyway, whatever it was, a uh, high school reunion a few years ago, and, um, uh, and there was a girl that I made amends to. I hadn't seen her since high school, and I had been disrespectful um, uh, of her when I was in high school. and. Uh, I made amends to her, and she sent me an email a while later and said, 
you know, I listened to your AA story, and I said, you're in AA? Via email back and forth. And she said, no, I went to this site and downloaded your story. Um, that's being done right now. Now, GSO sends a letter to those people and asks them to stop that. But because we don't take punitive action, um, some of that has, is being broken right now, and it'll hurt everybody. So the only thing we can do, I used to gripe about bad meetings in AA because I travel all the time and I'd go to a meeting and they'd be whiny and stuff. And Keith Lewis and I would be on the phone and the only negative, real negative conversations we had were how bad some of the meetings were in the United States now. And um, then we decided that AAs don't take criticism very well, so criticizing the meeting wasn't going to help. Uh, two, we weren't going to change it. Three, the best thing for me to do and for him to do was for us to support the solution meetings and just not deal with the other meetings, let them live their own life, and if they have an existence, fine. If not, we support the, the good meetings. And I think the same thing happens at the level of, of, uh, of the Internet, that we do it right and make a commitment to it, and there will be a few people who will abuse it, um, uh, but we try not to recognize that. There is no AA police or anything. You want to, Helen, do you have anything to add to that? What's the question? <laughs> I, I think he took care of it very well. I picked up on it. I didn't hear it in the beginning. Is But just to tell you a side of this uh, email and online meeting, someone called, and I thought it was interesting that he said he'd never been to an AA meeting, but would he get credit? That's exactly what he said. Would he get credit if he went to the online meetings? And I never had heard that question before. <laughs> and it had not come up before because I think in the Eastern Western Directory, New York lists uh, how to do the online meetings. So apparently they okay it up to a point. Anyway, he... He did good. Thank you. Um, I did want, uh, I'm Barbara. I did want to uh, talk about this just briefly from an Al-Anon point of view. When I was um, Al-Anon delegate, I was actually asked to make a presentation uh, to the World Service Conference about online meetings. It was back when they were first getting started, and um, I was in one, and it was an, e it was an email group. And you know the topic came in, somebody shared on it, and then people could respond, and it was all just by email address. And so I showed members of the conference. And at that point, there were only three people in the whole room. This was 1996 that had a computer. I mean, yeah, 1996. It seems like it wasn't that long ago. But um, and uh, so they were fascinated to look at email, even, which is hard to believe now. But oh, we've come a long way since then. Um, I know with Facebook and Twitter and you know all those kind of things that are out there, I get concerned about it at times. Um, I actually work in treatment, and I have information about where I work on my Facebook page. And so I get people, I actually get 12-step calls through Facebook every now and then. Somebody will pop up to chat with me, you know, trying to get help for something. And um, I had a young girl, 12-year-old. Um, 
um, reach out to me the other day, and um, uh, her mother's alcoholic, and she was really struggling, and she wondered if if I had any help, and I was telling her about Alateen, and, uh, you know, she doesn't have anybody she can ask to buy her a book. She doesn't have anybody she can ask to get her to a meeting. You know, she wouldn't really tell me where she lived, and so I was trying to find anything online, Alateen literature anywhere online, anything that she could listen to or read, and there wasn't anything. So, um, you know, sometimes electronic media can really be of help to someone like that, and so it's one thing I'm going to mention to our delegate that it might be worth having the Alateen book available for a download for Alateens, um, for those kids that just really, they don't have any way to buy it. So um, uh, there's, there's some, some good potential 12-step there, but there is, you know, there is a lot of danger in some of those, um, the unanimity of some of, there's another group now called In the Rooms, you know, where you can be in any kind of 12-step program you want to and, you know, open your anonymity, you know, be open about it to everybody in the group. But they're not all in the 12-step, they're not all in AA, they're not all in Al-Anon, they're not, you know, it's whatever anybody might be in. So the electronic um, media is a public level. It really is something to be aware of. Okay. All right, this is the next one. Um, I am having difficulty with forgiveness. I was married for 33 years, 16 um, included the ex's military career. I have made many sacrifices, or we moved 15 times in 15 years. I finally started a career when he retired. I worked hard um, for us and moved up quickly, put job ahead of the ex to get ahead. Uh, a younger subordinate chased after him. He asked for a divorce. He married her after her divorce. Now she gets all the benefits I sacrificed for. I believe they owe me an apology. They need to ask for my forgiveness. I was always a doormat. I allowed them to date in my home. I am angry at me most of all. And I think I would start on that last sentence. Um, you know, self-forgiveness is, is really hard and, and um, fairness and all those are really, you know, sure, they probably do owe an apology, but we can't control the other side of the street. You know, uh, when I look at what I need to do, making amends is about being willing to walk into the intersection and stand in the median and wonder if anybody's ever going to cross the other side. And, um, and my willingness to find uh, forgiveness for somebody else is about me willing to for, being willing to forgive myself and not let it hold me down anymore. Fairness is a whole other issue, and there's legal there's legal legal aspect of all that. I don't know of, uh, who this is that wrote this, but um, it, when those kind of things happen and your the anger is focusing on yourself. Not finding forgiveness is about getting, staying stuck in that victim place that I talked about earlier. And in the long run, staying stuck there is going to keep um, you, you in a place where you won't be able to enjoy your own life and from here on out and, unless you can try to find a way to move on. 
And this I talked about earlier, uh, the nice part about this, and it's simple, God has all power, God has all the provision, and so it doesn't make any difference if a whole circus full of jerks come along and try to take a bunch of stuff from me. It's temporary because God will provide whatever I need. So if I start looking to God for the answer rather than the people I'm mad at, it gives me a certain amount of freedom. So... I have a principle in a story. I, uh, you know, the Pope was shot years ago. It was in the newspaper. I don't know how many years ago. And uh, they, the guy that shot him went to prison. And a few short years ago, I read in the newspaper where the Pope made a visit to that prison. And I thought the only reason he visited the prison, I'm thinking, didn't say that in the paper, is to do a verbal forgiveness. I just knew that surely must be so. But he didn't ask him for dinner. <laughs> Again, is there uh, any questions from the floor? I can bring this down. Anybody? Yes. Well, this is for everybody on the panel, and I'm sorry I'm not getting here. Is there an easy way to work the steps? No. <laughs> I don't think this one's on. Is it? Yeah. All right. Um, no. <laughs> I mean, this whole new way of life is very different than what we were in before, but the truth is that I find it easier... Once you get used to it, it's much easier with a lot less problems working through the steps, answering to a sponsor, doing all the things we do now um, because the results are easier. There's less resistance. The more I'm in conscious contact with God, the easier it is to deal with things. It doesn't make any difference. I mean, cancer and things like that you can talk about because it's a big thing. But what about, you know, I have character defects that just continue to dog me for a period of time. How do I let go of those? Usually they become more painful. Uh, for a period of time, and when they become more painful, at some point I want the freedom from that thing more than I want to stay in the middle of that thing. And, uh, uh, but I still think all of this is easier than, than when I was out on the street. So. I actually will say one other thing. Um, in my years in Al-Anon, um, there are people to come to Al-Anon and are never willing to work a single step. Um, there are those that get into the one, two, three waltz and stay stuck there and never move on. But I've had a number of people who've done a fourth and fifth step and then they look at the sixth through ninth and they don't really want to change. You know, it seems like it would make sense. Yeah, I want to get rid of my character defects. But I can't tell you how many people who have left Al-Anon after they've done a fifth step. You know, they start to see themselves and they don't really want to finish the work and they move on. Um, but the reality is, is what miracles could happen in their life if they move on. So I um, every now and then I'll go to a Goodwill or Salvation Army and buy any um, Just Do It um, uh, Nike t-shirt I can find and give it to my sponsees uh, to remind them that they just need to do it. I heard today um, 
something about I started to find it, but I remember it. Acceptance is freedom. And so acceptance of taking the 12 steps is freedom. That's the way I just thought about it. And so that makes it easier. Do we have another question? Um, I've just recently heard about the concepts. What book are you referring to uh, for people that want to learn more about the concepts? Well, the best book is the AA Service Manual because it not only includes all the concepts in their long forms and they have divisions from the concepts called the warranties, but it's also Bill Wilson's writings about... The, there you go. And... Yeah. And... Oh, okay. This is a... Yeah, this is, um, or you can, uh, this, this book here is just the 12 Concepts for World Service. Yeah, but it's out of the AA Service Manual. We give away that AA Service Manual for free, and your GSR should have a bunch of them, and if you want one, just tell him and he'll get you a service manual. And it talks about what the different jobs are in service and Alcoholics Anonymous in the general service structure, group service representative, the, uh, I mean, all, I mean, the general service representative, the, all the uh, DCMs and all that. But it really talks about the concepts from Bill's perspective, and that's the best thing to read. However, I always carry with me, um, let's see, this is like the dummy's guide. It's the 12 Concepts for World Service Illustrated. So this is a short, very to-the-point, simple Act. And if you're new, this is almost better to read than the other one to get started because it talks about what they mean and it's, it's easier to uh, relate to. Um, so those are the two uh, uh, pieces of information. That the AA Service Manual, which is the most unread document we have in Alcoholics Anonymous, and uh, then they make one of these uh, illustrated for the traditions and for the concepts. And they're easy, especially for newcomers and people who aren't in general service work, they break them down, they're pretty easy, and they talk about the basic principle behind each one of them. Then what I was talking about earlier, obviously, is how I've adapted that to the rest of my life. Uh, on the Al-Anon side, there's also, Al-Anon obviously also has their own service manual, but uh, when Al-Anon put together Paths to Recovery, it's Paths to Recovery, Al-Anon's 12 Steps, Traditions, and Concepts, and the concepts are given equal weight in that book. And um, there's some beautiful sharings about how people have used those concepts in their life um, and in their groups. Um, that uh, and probably if, if it wouldn't hurt any member of Alcoholics Anonymous to read um, that section in Pastor Recovery because uh, there's, there's really some good information in there. Another question. I have one. Um, recently, we have uh, encountered uh, the DUI court in Cobb County. And the DUI court is um, requiring sponsors to report in on the progress of their sponsees, which is, um, of course, a violation of the affiliation, where the courts are affiliating um, themselves with AA. I had an experience where I was sponsoring someone, then they got the DUI, 
Then I was required to call in on a regular basis. And all I would say was, I'm calling in to report on so-and-so, sort of have a nice day. Um, but there's also been cases where uh, one of the probation officers is sending officers of the court, sheriffs and um, police officers, into AA meetings to check and to see if people are actually showing up on their court. But based on, you know, they sign that they're in that particular meeting and they're having to check and see if they're actually showing up. Uh, your comments on that? Our, our approach has been, there's recently been a letter that has been, uh, the General Service Office actually agreed in April uh, as a format to judges, and, uh, and we sent that to the judge. It has not really had any noticeable effect that we can tell at this time. And your comments on that? Actually, a couple of us at the office, central office, met with uh, several judges in DeKalb County. At their invitation, he even came down to the office to visit. And uh, he was not an AA member, but he was setting up the new drug court. And so he wanted our cooperation and how. And so he invited us. There were about eight or ten judges in that room for them to ask questions. They gave us ten minutes. And yet it lasted 30 minutes because they kept asking questions. And so that is a good way, and we were nice, and but we were firm about what AA is. And what happens, I think, is the judges, the courts, the parole officers want to put us on their agenda. And... It's okay to have a conversation and communication and work it out and still work it out. You know, we can still cooperate without allowing them to do that. Now, exactly what the answer is, but I try and contact uh, that person and sit down and maybe there'd even be a gathering of several people that would need to know. I remember a parole officer calling once, and uh, he wanted guarantee that the person was going to an AA meeting because he didn't believe him, I guess. And uh, I said, well, we don't do that. We don't guarantee anyone's going to an AA meeting. We can't. He said, well, what good are you then? Because he had a job to do. See, I knew why. He had a job to do. But he couldn't do it uh, without cooperating with who and what we are. And that's possible, I think. Uh, one of the things we don't do very well, especially now, that used to, we used to do a lot more of, <clears throat> before I got sober, I knew about Alcoholics Anonymous because when a conference would come to town, uh, the newspapers would cover it because it was big news that an alcoholic could get sober. And so they'd uh, either backlight people and interview them or whatever, or they, in some cases they actually wear a mask. But we used to do a lot more work with educating people in the press, and uh, we have a group called uh, prof uh, Cooperation for, with the Professional Community where we go out and we talk to them. We also have corrections committees. But we don't do a great job, and we just assume everybody knows about Alcoholics Anonymous, what we do, how we do it, why we do it. We do not do a great job of saying to a large group of people 
like the courts or like doctors, here's what we do and here's why we do it. If they understood why we do it, most of them would be glad to work with us within the framework of our traditions. Um, there's a guy named Cease Corrigal who was, uh, has got like close to 60 years now up in Saskatchewan. And one of the things he did up there for all of northern Canada was have a uh, PI, they'd have a conference there every year where you'd have speakers, but they one day for four hours they used all these speakers to help educate the courts, the hospitals, and everything else. And they had a great relationship with them. And so one of the things we can do is be more, uh, we reach out, explain why we do things. Tom I, who many of you know, uh, who was the guy that was put in prison for a long time because he killed two people while he was driving drunk and is the only person who ever did that that became warden of the prison uh, many years later, thanks to the way God worked out all the details. At their home group, they don't even sign the, the uh, forms. Um, and uh, uh, with the idea that Tom is explaining to them that they will uh, know by the person's behavior if they are changing and growing, they can, be, they can recognize that sobriety in that person, but that they don't sign that for them. And he's a guy who was, you know, one of the highest people in corrections in the United States at one time and feels like it's not even good for the court systems to have that. So we have different opinions about that, but um, ultimately when people bring us prisoners or treatment centers bring us a number of people, when I first got sober we had to drive sometimes two hours to go find somebody in the hospital to call on them so we could stay sober. The way we should look at these people is this is a group of people that we can 12-step, and maybe some of them don't get sober, but it'll keep us sober. And we should do that within our own principles, not let them run the program. That's the idea. But our communicating to people outside of AA is worse now than it was a few years ago, so that it could be improved and we could do things. And that just takes people being willing to... Uh, uh, do something, and whether we do it at the area level or intergroup or any other level, it's something you might think about so that we maybe once a year have a thing with it. Where was the, where was the thing you did with all the judges, Helen? Decamp. Decamp, yeah. I mean, I mean, that you all set it up or they set it up? They set it up. Yeah. But it doesn't say that we can't set something up at some point, which may help solve the problem. I will just say that I can't speak to this issue particularly, but... Al-Anon has been challenged with a couple uh, intersections with the legal community, and one of them was over Alateen. Um, I've never heard the whole details, but Alateen as a whole was sued over some Alateen issues, and um, I'm assuming it had to do with sponsorship. And because of the guidelines that are now in place, I'm assuming it had to do with sponsorship and uh, someone who was a sex offender. Um, there's now a requirement that Alateen sponsors have a police background check, and therefore there are a lot of Alateens that are not willing to be Alateen sponsors because it's not at the level of press, radio, and TV, and films, though, and so some people have chosen to break their anonymity in order to be an Alateen sponsor and be of service to that. So um, that, But it's still controversial in Alateen. It, it truly is. So when that intersection happens, it can be a challenge. Yes. Uh, just on this topic, I'm a dick alcoholic. I serve as PICPC for District 14C, where we are now in Cherokee County. I attend the DUI court twice a month um, because in 
consultation with my sponsor, we thought it would be a good idea that there be someone in the room who knew at least a little bit about AA. And uh, the biggest lesson I've learned is that uh, nobody controls a judge. I begged the judge not to say my name and AA in the same sentence, but I can't keep him from doing it. Uh, it my other choice is to not be of service to, to a whole lot of people who need help and uh, be there to answer their questions. So I have to take that as, you know, as the, the bad with the good on that part, I think. And uh, But if anybody has any questions about how this thing works in this county, Cherokee County, I'd be happy to chat with them after the meeting. Yeah, I'm Jimmy Alcoholic. And just out of curiosity, do you have any suggestions on how to carry the message to family members, uh, specifically parents? Um, and this is, is this parents that need AA or parents are, are helping your parents understand AA? Okay, all right. Um, well, I'll speak to the Al-Anon part. I think that, you know, I encouraged my parents um, from the time I got involved in Al-Anon until the time they died to go to Al-Anon with me, and they never went. Um, I, uh, I can tell you that by being open with them and sharing with them what I was learning and by my changed behavior with them, loving them, caring them, let, being responsible to them, letting them know what I was doing, and then beginning to, to know the service that I was doing. What happened is they slowly let go of all their secrets they'd held for years. You know, my father had um, uh, seen his father um, after he'd been beaten and both his arms and legs were broken after he died in the North Carolina mental health system. Um, as a result of his alcoholism, and he had seen that when he was 12 years old and he never told anybody. Um, my mother told me that she'd been married before she married my dad. They just, there's the secrets in their closet, all those things that, that they'd held on to for so long out of fear of what we would, what I would think about them if I knew, they started telling me. So they told me about their lives, they told me about the things that had held them back, and and our relationship grew to another level. You know, I think that sometimes uh, I've known people in, in stri struggling with dealing with parents, uh, whether they're in AA or Al-Anon, finding that going to Al-Anon is helpful. Um, if someone won't go to Al-Anon, uh, for a while I told Dickie must be the founding member of Al-Anon-Anon uh, for somebody living in it with Al-Anon who wouldn't really work in a program. You know, Dick, when we started dating, he told me he wouldn't marry anybody unless they were in Al-Anon. And um, I heard, you have to go to Al-Anon, but I really didn't. I just went because I was trying to manipulate him into marrying me. So, um, you know, the the reality is, is, I mean, if you're in a new relationship, I would, and you're in AA, I would totally encourage you to do that because... Believe me, I mean, there, if, if I was attracted to Dick, there was definitely going to be alcoholism in my life somewhere, and it definitely was. If somebody's attracted to y'all, it's probably somewhere. Um, so it's, um, and I, I don't mean that ugly, it's just a reality. And so, uh, you know, from that point of view, encouraging somebody, 
Uh, encouraging and sharing your own life is probably the best thing that you can do because uh, you really can't make them go to Al-Anon any more than you can AA. Helen, you're going to say something? or Please. Mm-hmm. Only about how I felt when I first came into AA. Uh, not very nice and uh, didn't think much of myself and family didn't think too much of me either. So when I got a sponsor in the beginning, nice lady, you know, 50s, 60s, as years ago, of course, and uh, proper and had a wonderful, beautiful home and a husband and all that, I took her to meet my mother-in-law because I had, here is what the picture to me is what AA is, what the people in AA can be. And that's how I looked at her, and I thought I could be like that. So I wanted my family to meet her because they'd known alcoholism, they'd known me, and drinking. And here was someone sober in AA who carried themselves very well, and it took time. But that was my beginning, and that was my motive. So they could see who is in Alcoholics Anonymous, and we're just like they are, so to speak. I'm Renita, and I'm an alcoholic. Uh, and I would like to ask, we've had, uh, ask, we always uh, ask in meetings about for people to try and uh, join up to go to the jails here in Cherokee County to do service work. And... Uh, we only have uh, one or two ladies uh, from the same group that attend the jail meetings on Wednesday night every every week. And uh, I was wondering how uh, we could maybe uh, get more of our women and men involved in, in the jails uh, because there's really a lot of, of uh, well, young girls and men that are in jail, you know, for DUIs and drug problems. So uh, I was just wondering if there's any suggestions that you might have for us to help reach out to some of these people in in AA groups to uh, maybe try and and, uh, come into the jails to help out with our uh, meetings. I think sometimes we forget this is a program of attraction, and um, so most of the things I did early on, I didn't have any clue what I was doing. I just went where the crowd was, and uh, I went into uh, my first uh, prison meeting was at the, uh, I got sober in Louisville and was in Lexington, Kentucky at the Lexington Narcotics. Uh, It was a big federal prison. They slam about eight doors on you as you get in there, and um, but what happened was... um, We'd go and we'd have this experience and we'd feel very grateful about it and then we always went to get pizza afterwards. We made an event out of it. I think sometimes we, we make things sound too serious in AA. Yes, this is a fatal disease, but we've been given a gift that we can share with somebody else and they'll want it if they see us as being you know, happy and cheerful and, and giving them some way. Laughter uh, uh, kept me sober the first year, just listening to people laugh because I hadn't been around that. So I think sometimes just making an event out of it. And the other thing is sponsorship. Uh, you know, I got a guy I sponsor who's taken, just started a, a meeting at the Fulton County 
uh, jail, and there were a few problems with it. I went with him a few times, and we started working on getting some help from Fulton County to straighten it out, and, and uh, it's going very, very well now. But people you sponsor, you can influence to come with you on, sponsor, on, on these kind of things. And so those have been the two ways. Either it's fun or I'm following my sponsor someplace. Um. I was only going to say the same thing about sponsorship. I think uh, AA members still need encouragement, and one person say, come along with me, and that is a sponsor or a friend in the fellowship. In fact, my first sponsor used to say to me, come on, to an AA meeting, let's have a cup of coffee. And she, it was encouragement. And they did it, we did it together, in other words. So if, even if, if it's one or two, I find that works. My name is Damon. I am an alcoholic. Hey, I've also been uh, privileged to uh, take meetings into the Cobb County's finest gated community uh, for five years. And uh, I think a couple of things is it's just a meeting, you know. I think that's a lot about what's the fun about it, you know. And I'll tell you this, though. I have never felt so richly rewarded in the program as I do when I hear that door slamming behind me as I go out. Um, I, if You know, we so much enjoy seeing a newcomer come into a meeting. You ever see that, how we swarm, you know, when that happens? At jail, we've got a whole room full of folks that are in that situation. And I love to ask them, I go, you know, because this is a design for living. I said, you know, how's your design working? And, I mean, we really have a peace that passes all understanding and, uh, and, a, and a real message. If you aren't getting a chance to go, it is a true honor to go, and it's worth it. If any of uh, the men are interested, I'll be happy to uh, get you the paperwork to go there <clears throat> and also to, to just get involved. It is truly an amazing experience. Hi. Um, this seminar was uh, entitled Emotional Sobriety. And I just wondered um, if you would like to speak for a moment about how to promote emotional sobriety, you know, how to further that um, journey. Um, what are some uh, hints that you might have or some suggestions? Because that's what I'm finding, you know, is important to me now. I can stay sober, you know, physically, but emotionally I still can ride a roller coaster. Thank you. Well, people want to be around other people who are happy, pleasant, easy to get along with. Uh, I mean, if you list all the things, attributes to a person you want to be around, those are attributes of emotional sobriety. And uh, generally, you know, I mean, I belong to a home group where we've got four of us over 30, a bunch of people with 20, a bunch of people in their teens, a bunch of, but we're having birthdays. Uh, I'm celebrating my birthday next Thursday, and... and uh, uh, we had a meeting of those of us having birthdays. We got three girls with one year, a guy with two years, uh, and then it goes on up. But we have new people, and the new people are hanging around the older people who are having fun. 
Uh, and what I think that is, I mean, the, or enthusiastic. I, I'm as enthusiastic about AA now as I was uh, when I came in. In fact, more so. When I came in, I was kind of brain dead. Uh, but enthusiasm comes from the Greek entheos. It means God in us. So if I'm continually, daily, trying to surrender and let God live in me and love other people, I'm going to attract a lot more people that way than I am uh, uh, any other way. And that's emotional sobriety. And that's the same thing with my gastroenterologist who sends me wet drunks or someone else who uh, thinks well of me that is not in the program. But what they're seeing is the result of me continuing to work. Some people, other people outside here, don't have to do this. Every principal in this program I got when I was a kid through church, Little League, Boy Scouts, you know, 4-H, they all had the same values. But I couldn't get any of it until I got to the My Secret Dakota Ring was the big book and coming to Alcoholics Anonymous. I can read through all this stuff, and the principles we're talking about here are principles that have been around for thousands of years, and other people seem to be getting them other ways. I can't. I need this because I'm alcoholic. And so... But the, the result is joy. And it says joy is the theme of living and action is the keyword. So if I'm acting in such a way, I'll attract some people and then they'll want what I have and that's, that's what I'm seeking is, is to be, is joy, which is emotional st- uh, sobriety. Joy is something I'd never had before I got here. I knew how to be high, I knew how to be happy. Joy is that, that feeling where I know absolutely that I'm God's child, that God loves me, I'm taken care of and it doesn't matter whether I've got cancer or we have a, what's going on in the economy or anything else, God's going to take care of me, and that gives me a certain amount of comfort and, and peace, and that's what people are looking for, not just in AA, but every place. So when they find that in us, they're more likely to want to have it. You go to a meeting where everybody's dysfunctional. We do have those in AA where everybody's angry and everybody's defiant, and nobody's going to tell me what to do, and I've been to meetings like that. I don't think anybody's going to find it. I wouldn't take a newcomer to that kind of meeting. I would take them to the solution meetings, the people where they will see people that have recovered. Yes. I mean that. And um, are there any AA or Al-Anon meetings that focus on building relationships according to the tradition? Uh, there there are, are no Al-Anon meetings that I know of that are tradition meetings in Georgia. I'm, there's not to say that there aren't some some places. I know that there are groups that will have a tradition meeting once a month or once every other month um, in Al-Anon. Um, I know that um, I have um, the folks that I sponsor. We're doing. We're going through the steps right now. And if if I have my way about it, I'd love to go to the tradition through the traditions when we finish. But there'll be a group conscious in that, so it won't be just me. But um, I think that you know doing that with with uh, through sponsorship is probably a wonderful way to do it. Um, I don't and. I think there are some AA traditions. Did you say relationship? Not in Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, not as a group. I've heard, if I understood the question, say the question again. Are there any Al Anon or AA meetings that focus on using the traditions the way? went through them, Dick, in the relationship. 
No, not in AA. I have been, though, to a workshop-type thing or a roundup where someone was selected who was good at... Uh, in fact, I went to my first one two years ago, I believe, but it wasn't part of an AA meeting. It was just an addition of someone talking about using the traditions in the relationship. As a matter of fact, Barbara came very close to that today, and so did Dick. But it was just for that, and it was an hour of it. So if you look at some of the flowers, you might want to do that, but not in an AA group, no. I think part of it, too, is the way we say relationships, because everything we do is a relationship. We have a relationship with God. We have a relationship with other people in AA. But the, the problem around AA that everybody gets spooked about is when somebody says relationships, it usually means what newcomers' relationship is, who am I going to sleep with at this uh, uh, roundup? And then what meetings can I find after the roundup, after the relationship breaks up, so I don't have to go sit next to the person I just developed a relationship with after the roundup? Because I've done that early on, and so um, uh, and and so that's the reason we don't have relationships meeting. Now traditions meetings, we don't have very many of them around Atlanta or Georgia, but there are, there are, there are a lot of traditions meetings. If you go to California, you'll find them. You'll find them in New York. Find them other places. I wish we had more traditions meetings. Then, if you are talking about traditions and how they apply to you in that meeting, and it's out of a literature, it's it's all it's all good. But the word relationships is kind of this double entendre, and that's why it gets the uh-oh from uh, uh, most people, although we have to deal with people all the time. I just wanted to say in Douglasville we are having now um, twice a month on Wednesdays a tradition meeting that follows that tradition each month. We've been having that at the Now Club. So, so that's the, the Now Club in Douglasville, and what days? Second and fourth Wednesday of the month at 8 o'clock. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, just to piggyback on that, too, we have a traditions meeting at the Howl Place at 8 a.m., and it's the last Thursday of the month. So we do also offer that. If uh, I'd like to finish up with a question. Um, to actually, to comment on something. Something I read uh, a while back was uh, Ann Smith's diary, the commentary on that diary. And one of the questions stimulated this for me is she said uh, there was two things actually she had in there. She had 15 types of surrender, which was fascinating. Surrender my rights. Surrender the tongue. I like that one. Um, but uh, the other thing she said that meant a lot to me was that feelings are the fruit, not the root of my faith. And that the program teaches me to act not on my feelings, but on principles. And then at the end of the day, I harvest my feelings of a day well spent. And um, just uh, if you can, sort of on that tone to finish up, I would appreciate it. Surrender is one of those things that I, I have never been able to force myself into doing. Um, when I got here, uh, I had been told I had a drinking problem. I, I had been arrested 22 times. I had, went to jail four hours after I took my first drink. I, n I never had any social drinking. I went directly from starting to drink 
to jail within four hours. That was the that was the only period during which I had social drinking, and so um, I, I was locked up uh, and never for, I was never locked up for. Um, uh, one DUI out of all those 22 arrests, most of it was for defiance. As soon as I started drinking, um, I wanted to straighten people out. And so um, I got arrested at my senior prom for two counts of assault and battery on a police officer. Um, now, having given all that and coming from a family where nobody gets arrested and having my family doctor talk to me when I was 15 and 16 about my drinking problem, um, having a, an AA person come out and speak to us when we got back from Vietnam, and uh, my drinking buddy, who was a gunny uh, named Bob, I hope it's Bob D by now, uh, we would sit and listen to this. And um, we drank before we went to this mandatory drug abuse seminar because we thought that would be the right thing to do. And we sat and listened to him. And everything he said hit in here. But I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready until I'd been drinking without food nonstop, been evicted from my apartment for two years. So it took that for me to surrender. Now, other things, if you read in the big book between 6 and 7, there's a loophole if I'm trying to surrender something. First of all, I have to identify it. A lot of stuff I'm working on to surrender right now I didn't even know I had 20 years ago. And I will say also that some of it takes time. I grew more between 20 and 30 years than I did the first 20 years, even though I was working hard, because I became a little bit more serious about surrendering more things. But I started smoking because I saw the graduate 10 times, and um, so... And so I, I, I didn't like smoking after I got sober because I have sinus problems and I was smoking four packs of cigarettes a day and I really didn't enjoy it. Um, and I tried to quit several times, but I couldn't. There's a loophole between the sixth and the seventh step that says, if we have something that we will not let go of, we ask God to help us become willing. So I started praying that God would help me to become willing to become willing to give up the cigarettes. Now, I use this as an example because it's a, it's a literal thing you can see where most of mine are character defects that you can't see. Well, some people can see them, but you can't see them all, don't see them all the time. And what happened was, I don't know how long it took, a few months, maybe a year, but during that period, girls, this is before Barbara and I were married, girls I was going out with said, why, well, you know, I don't like to be around cigarette smoke. I'd go to a movie or a theater or something, and I'd, I'd have to get up and go smoke a cigarette, and it would become an issue. I threw a cigarette out, and I only had one suit at that point in the program, and it came back in and burned a hole in the suit that was in the back window. And um, one day, I wanted the freedom from a cigarette more than I wanted that cigarette, and that was October 18, 1978. So from that day until now, almost 32 years, I haven't had the desire for a cigarette. But God allowed that to become worse. And my experience is that when I ask him to help me with other things, my character defects become more pronounced and worse and more troubling to me. And at some point, I want the freedom from that more than I want that. And I don't know how else you can work on uh, uh, surrender. It's, it's just not, it's not something I can actuate. I can make myself get up in the morning and go do things, but I can't make myself surrender until I'm ready to because it's, a, it's God overcoming my defiance. How that works, I don't know. Um, I think I shared earlier, um, I didn't really know I had any feelings when I came here. And um, surrendering to the fact that I actually had them was actually the beginning of it. And you know, when, for an Al-Anon to look at the term emotional sobriety, I, I know a, a number of Al-Anons that I know just the t- fact that sobriety was in this topic today scared them. But um, 
you know, but that really is what I have been able to find in Al-Anon. Um, I was such an ultimate people pleaser, I think getting to the point of what balance is, I kind of, I see my my feelings today uh, like they're on a, a pendulum. And, uh, you know, people pleasing on one side, the ultimate people pleasing, and the other side is absolute entitlement, you know, that um, I'm going to get exactly what I want. And, you know, emotional sobriety is to be able to sit in the middle, you know, and, and to be able, if the, maybe the pendulum moves a little bit back and forth, but I don't have to go to ultimate people-pleasing or ultimate entitlement today. Um, fear, you know, um, I heard it said early in the program that you couldn't have fear and faith at the same time, but that wasn't actually my experience. Um, I like the, um, the saying, uh, courage is fear that said its prayers. And um, I had to walk through the fears to get to the other side. And today, um, I also, the opposite end of the pendulum is probably some Pollyanna-ish land where you don't believe there's anything out there to be scared of anyway. And I don't want to live there either. So uh, for me today, it's finding that balance, finding that middle ground um, that I don't have to have absolute highs and lows anymore. Uh, I can feel my feelings on both sides of the fence, but that I can get closer to what, um, I don't even know what this word is, but closer to what normal might be. <laughs> but um, I am very grateful today that um, I'm no longer numb. All right. Um, one last, you want to take us out with one more question? Well, we're, we're right at the top of the hour, so, um, okay. We're Um, I've just got talking about emotional sobriety and balance relationships and all. Um, I struggle with love and tolerance is our code, and in all my affairs, speaking more of work, and uh, we are not servile or a doormat. I can't seem to find the balance. It seems like I'm staying on the doormat side a whole lot. I just want to know if you had any suggestions of action or any words to address that. Thank you. Um, I think I would just say that um, sponsorship is very important. Um, and when you're, how important is it is one of my favorite slogans and trying to decide when something is important enough to say and when something is not. Um, I don't think that um, love and tolerance means that we have to suddenly have no opinions at all because that would take me back to people pleasing where I lived for way too long. So sometimes it's the way I state what I feel and uh, the timing of when I state what I feel and um, uh, being able to um, uh, let it go and not have to always have my way, uh, you know, is, is the land between, for me, between being a, a doormat and, and, and finding love and tolerance. I mean, this I know it's a one-trick pony, but... The fact that God has all power, this that I remember, and I say this to myself, it's almost like a mantra. God has all power, so this jerkwad can't mess up my life. I mean, that's the thought process I go through. I don't think that's what God says. But God has all power, which means that if God loves me, which I believe, first of all, if, if I don't believe this, if I don't believe that God loves me and that I'm a child of God and that God has all power, then I might as well go ahead and drink because I'm just faking it through this whole thing. So God either is everything or he's nothing, as it says in our book. So if God has all power and God 
I'm one of the chosen ones who gets to come to Alcoholics Anonymous and I get to enjoy this life, then whatever I'm going through, whether it's cancer or somebody being rude to me or whatever, I don't have to give them any power. I just know that if their behavior is there, it's for one or two reasons. One, God wants me to see that i got some character defects that are rubbing people the wrong way and I need to do something about it so I stop being as abrasive. Or two, the other person's got a problem, in which case I can pray for them and, and uh, just go on with my life. And that takes all the edge off of all that stuff out there. Does that mean that I don't get angry? No, because I come from, we get angry a lot in my family. So, but when it happens, I can get angry on the inside, but I don't have to act out like I used to. Because I remember that, and this works for me. I just remember, God's doing something here, I stop, and I can say a prayer for a millisecond that keeps me from opening my mouth and getting further in trouble. And then if I don't open my mouth all the time and don't actually get in trouble, then generally I see that there was a purpose, and sometimes I actually end up connecting with somebody that I thought was being rude in the first place. God usually has some reason for what is going on in my life. If not, at least he can make the best out of it for me. Great job, right? Okay, we're gonna we're gonna do the closing prayer, uh, which if you choose to um, join us, will be the Our Father. But before that, just a couple of things. There's opportunity for service in helping us. We need about 20 strong males or females to stay and help us to stack up the chairs. It won't take very long, but we do have that need. So I thought I would put that out there. Um, I also was the treasurer for this endeavor, and I want to let you all know that you were all very generous, and we've completely covered expenses, and whatever is left over will go to, to uh, the General Service Board. So we want to thank you for that. Good job, everybody. I want to thank our speakers. You did a great job, Dick. Barbara, you were fabulous. I was in Al-Anon before I got into Alcoholics Anonymous. I learned a lot of things there, and then when I realized that, you know, I mean, that, that drinker wasn't the only one in my life, I got an AA too. And one of the things I heard from a double winner was that when I was in, if I'm in Al-Anon in the, in, the, in the sickness, I feel less than. And when I'm in the sickness of the alcoholism, I feel greater than. So what I need is I need both of them to bring me right sides. And I think that's what you had all very eloquently said, Barbara, was that emotional sobriety is being right-sized and right-sized in perspective to God in our relationship with others. And I really appreciate your years of wisdom and what all you've done over the years, Helen. You just, you're a really a, the epitome of service. And I'm, I'm truly humbled by, by your appearing here today and just really encouraging us and just letting us all know that, you know, service is where you really get lost in just being God's kid. And I really appreciate what you've shared. So who brought us here today? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, 
forever and ever. Amen. Keep coming back. It works when you work it.